He has vast experience of handling large global programs, operating with multi-vendors from diverse geographies. He has worked with the clients in the telecom, retail, insurance and banking industry in the US and also from Europe. He has been a trusted advisor and worked very closely with the C-level management teams of Fortune 500 companies across the globe. He is a keynote speaker at many significant industry conferences. He was ranked by Your Story as 100 Emerging Voices of 2019 and the author to watch out for in year 2020. He is certified safe agileist and Prince2 professional. He has key certifications like ASQ, Six Sigma Green Belt, ITIL V3 and COVID 4.1. He is a nominated DASA, that is DevOps and Agile Skills Association influencer. Let's learn more about Arvind Rathor's illustrious career journey and an interesting topic around organizational debt. Hello, hi there. Welcome to the Guiding Voice podcast series. The Guiding Voice for a better future. This podcast is to help professional students, IT employees and entrepreneurs to shape their careers. Dear listeners, in every episode, we interact with industry experts or thought leaders or academicians or coaches across the globe to drive some insightful conversations that will help each one of you learn great things. Also, we share an interesting trivia or a fun fact about the IT world or technology towards the end. Thank you so much for tuning in. This is your host, Navin Samala, and with my co-host, Sudhakar Naganla. So folks, as Sudhakar mentioned, today we are going to discuss a very interesting topic, which is about organizational debt and its relevance in building long-term sustainable organizations. And we are pleased to welcome Arvind and at the same time thank him for being part of TGV's journey in shaping the lives and careers of millions across the globe. Arvind, welcome to TGV. Can we get started? Absolutely. It's my pleasure, Naveen and Sudhakar, being here with you in this conversation. Let's get started. Thank you. We should actually thank you for taking time. Really appreciate you spending this time with us. I'm sure our audience are going to get immensely benefited with this conversation. So, Arvind, can we talk about your career journey and a couple of most important things that helped you reach your current position? I'm sure every one of the audience would aspire to reach that position. Sure, Sudhakar. My career started probably 22 years back, and uh, I've been fortunate enough to work in a diverse set of companies, combination of both IT services as well as companies that we call the GCCs uh, in, in India. So uh, besides that, uh, like you said uh, in my introduction, I've again been fortunate to work in diverse industries, starting from banking, telecom, retail, and insurance, and have been able to sort of cross-pollinate ideas from one industry to the other. In terms of geographies, I've spent a lot of time as foundational years in the U.S., working across the length and breadth of the country there. And then uh, towards the latter part of my career in, uh, you know, working with uh, companies in Europe. So again, from a theater perspective, I've again been fortunate enough to get a experience in diverse geographies as part of uh, my career journey. In terms of the roles that I've played, started to the ranks. Uh, my foundational years were that being of software development and then gradually moved on to manage large programs. And then after g- garnering a lot of experience, I was able to use that experience 
to become a consultant or a trusted advisor to a lot of the leaders across different companies that I worked for. And the last uh, decade has been really working in the leadership positions and being able to create strategies for large companies as well as to implement these strategies uh, for the companies that I've worked for. So uh, that's in a nutshell my career journey. And in terms of the latter part of your question on what are some of the things that I feel have helped me reach the position that I am at the moment, number one is always seeing the bigger picture and not really getting blindsided by your immediate task or activity that you're working on, right? So I've always been able to get bigger vision of the company that you're working for and then align myself to that vision. And that's greatly helped. The number two, irrespective of this technical skills or the specialized skill that one might possess, which is very, very important. It's really important as you grow through your career to build on your inter- interpersonal skills because at the end of the day, we work with humans and what matters is that how do you build on the interpersonal skills? So that's number two. The third one, which is to me the most important one, is really to reinvent yourself over your uh, career span. As we see, you know, in terms of skills, in terms of market dynamics, in terms of where the world is headed, there is obviously a rapid change and you really need to reinvent yourself in terms of the skills that you possess and the learnings that you have uh, in in terms of uh, growing your career. So these are the three things that I would cite as my top three things that um, have helped me where I am. Thank you for that summary and those three important things. Having the bigger picture, always see the bigger picture, interpersonal skills and reinvent yourself. Thank you for that. So, Arvind, when we talk about the current topic that we are going to talk about, about organizational debt in general, how do you explain that to a five-year-old? Wow. It's a very important, I feel it's a very powerful concept. I mean, we'll dwell deeper as we go along in this uh, talk. But to start with, you know, if we just have a concept of debt, first of all, what is the concept of debt? And it's normally related, you know, we talk, when we talk about debt, we generally talk in terms of financial debt, right? But in layman terms, what debt really means is that something that you've borrowed for yourself now from your future self, right? And you have an obligation to pay that later. So that, in sense, is the definition of debt, right? And this whole concept of organizational debt, though the term really was coined in 2015, but I believe this concept has been ever since the the, the corporate industry was created. So what, what is organizational debt in simple words? It is something that accrues over a period of time. It doesn't show in your balance sheet, but it is a debt that you accrue because of either wrong decisions or indecisions. So I'll repeat that for you, right? Over a period of time, as a leader of an organization, if you are taking incorrect decisions or you're not taking decisions at all, which is a decision by itself, you're accruing a debt for the company for the future. That sort of, you see these symptoms in the company in terms of building a toxic culture, right? That this debt manifests itself into a toxic culture or for that matter, company going in a direction which it is not able to take view of and getting disrupted. So these are some of the ways that you find that you accrue in a debt. Like I said, it doesn't show up in your financial statement, but you build something which is high maintenance and often difficult to get rid of. And I mean, a lot of your listeners, I believe, are from the technical background and they're familiar with this term of technical debt. Yeah. Right. So yeah. I'll sort of, this, this whole concept of organizational debt was built on 
the concept of technical debt, right? So just to be on the same page and level set on what is technical debt, right? Is essentially when you're working for a startup or for that matter, any company, not only a startup, right? And you're building software for that company, which in return is going to be used by the end customers. And what is your main priority at that point of time is that you're competing with a lot of other companies, a lot of other companies as in startups and a lot of your other peers in the industry. And what is of premium is really the speed that you get out this software out into the market. So there is a constant need to just get it done and get this software out in the industry. And there are valid reasons to do that. But having said that, what you're doing often is that your feature or product that you released to the market works for that time being. But in return, what you've done as a result of doing this faster is that you've made the maintainability of that code very complex. So if that code was to be touched later by the same developer or by his or her colleagues, they would find it really difficult to debug this code. And as a result of that, what happens that if your website or your product goes down, the mean time to recover and get your website up or the product up increases, right? Because of the maintainability of the code has been compromised. And that is what is called the technical debt that you accrued a technical debt, right? And, and there are various ways you can quantify in terms of, you know, the dollars that it, you would require to spend to really make this software more refined. So, and that, and again, when we talk about technical debt, it accrues because of two reasons. Like I said, one, just to get things done. The other is you don't have the right person to do that job and therefore the expertise is lacking there. And therefore they don't follow the best practices required to develop the software, right? So that's essentially the concept of technical debt. And on 2015, there's a gentleman called Steve Blank. He coined this word called organizational debt. He says that if you were to extend this concept of technical debt in an organization, you'll accrue with the same concept of organizational debt. And his quote was that organizational debt is similar to technical debt, but worse. So yeah, that's essentially you know how you sort of define what an organizational debt means. Yeah, I think that's very well summarized, Arvin. And one thing that resonates is it's more about the wrong decisions and are probably indecisions and which were taken at a right juncture wherein some strategic decisions have to be taken, but they were not taken and because of which it is going to cause a long-term damage, right? And when it comes to the impact of this organizational debt, how does it make or break any organization in your point of view? Right. So like I said, you know, any debt uh, to begin with, when you are you know, your startup, your prime objective is to get your product in the market, right? And I'm not saying that you always compromise on your quality, but number one in a priority list is always the speed, right? In terms of when this debt accrues, like I was saying in the initial part, you'll get to a point where the culture of the organization gets compromised or certain decisions that you take in the company are for the short term. Let me give you an example, right? You must have heard this, uh, this anecdote of a CIO or rather a CEO and a CFO of a company talking to each other. And the CFO says that should we train our people? And what if we train these people and they leave, right? (laughs) (laughs) And the CEO replies that what if we don't train them and they don't leave, they stay, right? Yeah. So that becomes a liability on the company. That's an example that you've been sort of penny wise and pound foolish. That and what what you have at on your hands then is a large workforce untrained, and that's a recipe for disaster as far as that organization is concerned. All the disruptions in my mind, you you name it, you know the common ones: uh, Netflix, uh, you know, triumph over uh, Blockbuster, or uh, Nokia not getting. 
to a point where they saw the smartphones, uh, how relevant they would be. And there are, you know, millions of these examples where how companies are getting disrupted. That exactly is an example on how you're looking things in a short term and just getting things done now, but then uh, not aligning with what should be your long-term strategy. So Naveen, to answer your question, this is how companies really make or break when they know, don't look at the long-term vision and get things done only for the short term. Now, you know, unfortunately, with the pace of change that we see today, there are various studies out, you know, I'm sure you're familiar with, you know, if you see the S&P, the Standard & Poor, uh, you know, the list that we see of uh, the, uh, you know, 500 major companies, the span of life for these companies are reducing and companies are getting dis- disrupted. Right. So that's a clear and present danger for every company to see long term. If I were to talk about the incentive that boards and the CEOs are getting today, again, you know, if there are various studies that will point out that the companies, mostly the objectives of the senior lot is aligned to what the quarter on quarter improvements are in terms of the financial results. And therefore, if I have a certain amount of money I have with with me that really needs to get invested for long-term R&D or for that matter, the employee training example that we took, I am, instead of doing that, I'm inclined to pass that on as shareholder profit because of the quarter on quarter challenges that I'm uh, I'm facing and and my objectives tied up to the quarter on quarter results rather than being that, you know, what should be the long-term results. So again, to answer your question, this is how companies who do not look at the long-term vision and the sustainability gets disrupted and eventually lead into a situation where the, the debt that accrues because of these decisions eats them up. Yeah. So uh, Arvind, you brought in an interesting point here, the longevity of the companies, right? Earlier, it used to be like 80 to 120 years. And now that has come down to 18 to 20 years. Again, maybe because of lack of uh, long-term vision and probably this uh, organization debt, the OD that we have been talking about might be contributing to that particular thing. But in this scenario, what can the leaders do in order to control the organizational debt so that they can build a resilient organization for the future? Right. So that that list is super long, right, in terms of uh, how leaders should uh, behave. But some of the points, you know, I can uh, put it out there for you, which can sort of guide leaders to move in that direction is really about, uh, you know, first, let the long term vision of your company be the North Star for your decision making. You're not going to go wrong if you are clear about your long-term vision on what does the company stand for and what are they, what are you trying to accomplish. So that, you know, if the leaders can align themselves to that, that becomes an important way that debt doesn't get accrued. Number two is have shorter feedbacks and good mechanisms to collect feedbacks from your employees, from your end customers. And that gives you view into the decision that you've taken. Have they worked? Or they have not. So that that is a good indication for you as a leader, whether you are you're doing well in with respect to your decisions. Number three is that you know the whole concept of change management, and you know every company is trying to change and bring in transformations, which is important and uh, you know need of the hour. But uh, my principle around that is change and continuously change, but change slow. Often some of the big bang changes leave really a bad taste in the mouth of the company if it is not implemented well. And that really accrues a huge amount of organizational debt during the course of uh, these changes. Then, you know, I am a big proponent of 
today when we are talking about industries being largely the workforce largely is around knowledge workers right as opposed to in the industrial age where it was manufacturing and the work was more labor intensive right now we're talking about a workforce which is knowledge intensive so there i think another point around decision making is that don't create single points of failures don't make your organization hierarchical that your you know buck stops here in that regard i believe that decentralize your decision makings i'm saying people are quite intelligent if they are given the mandate to work on certain things leave the decision in terms of the people who are working on that rather than creating silos and creating you know decision making failures as i call it because of the silos that are created make the organization more flatter and less hierarchical and that will give you less debt because then the decisions are taken faster and more closer to where the action is so now these are some of the pointers that i can give you obviously the culture of the organization really plays a part in decision making so uh, again you know tied to my previous point of uh, you know knowledge workers if you are building an organization which has what do i call as a big psychological uh, safety net in where people are free to take decisions and they are not thinking that if it is not broken let me not fix it right that's where my point around indecision comes in people see then and there out what is not working but they don't sort of speak out on why the certain things are not working because of the culture of the organization so creating a safety net where people can give you these signals on what is not working and can the actions can be taken is another way that uh, the leaders can facilitate this culture creation right so i think the list list goes on and on so but i think like i said these are some of the principles that one can use to really see that uh, the debt is prevented from uh, happening and then you can obviously uh, there are any decision that you are going to take is going to accrue a debt but then you based on the constant feedback that you are getting you need to create certain change management programs and see that that debt can be cleared off right by creating certain certain transformations and and change management programs within the company that can help you do that i'll give you an example from uber when uber was starting off and i believe i'm not 100% sure but i believe this is a course now in stanford which is taught on uh, you know how did they go about uh, clearing their both technical debt as well as organizational debt so you know they had a phenomena of uh, or not a phenomena but uh, let me take that back they had this uh, principle which says let the builders build which to say that let's churn out code and products as fast as we can and that what that led to is while they started off well they got into a situation where things got pretty unmanageable and they accrued all both a huge amount of technical debt in terms of maintainability of their code as well as the organizational culture and certain other processes got into a situation where it was really difficult to move forward right so it's kind of a paradox where you needed speed and you you got that freedom to build on on the speed that you wanted to build the developers under this let the builders build program but then because of everybody was building and you know doing this things in their own way you got into a situation that things got slowed down so this is one example on how uber handled it and uh, got their you know fixed their tech debt both from a preventive perspective as well as corrective perspective excellent arvin some great points that you have highlighted you know i made some of them i made note of some of them you know no single point of failure decentralize the decision making process so that people on the floor feel empowered to make the quick decisions and most of them will be right decisions and in case we are talking about organizational changes we need to make changes slowly so that they don't give you know repercussions big time thank you for that
great that you know you provided that uber example on how they got into a situation where they had to correct and they quickly jumped into the situation and course corrected there from the overall you know organizational depth perspective are there any organizations that are balancing everything without getting a lot of organizational debt because you mentioned that there will always be some debt that will be created as part of this process but do you think there is some organizations which are balancing this act pretty good that you can think of See, unfortunately, there's no clear scale to measure this, to know that what is accruing at the moment for if I were to pick up any 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 company, un- unless you're an insider, you would think that com- things are hunky-dory and only to realize that five, ten years down the line that the decisions that were taken in these companies were not right and therefore now they're paying the price, right? But one can only sort of uh, judging from the principles that I just mentioned on if you were to do, you know, these things around decentralization of decision-making, around having uh, less single point of failures, having a vision-aligned to the activities that you do and so on and so forth. If you were to judge companies who are following these principles, I would say the companies today who are successful, especially the internet giants like Google's, like Apple, like Amazon, I believe are following these principles, you know, being a avid student of what these companies are doing in terms of their culture, in terms of their organizational structure, in terms of the processes that they follow. I would place my bet on and you know, these companies are doing most things, if not all things are right in terms of not letting the debt accrue. Arvind, this has been a wonderful conversation so far. Let us add some spice to this episode by asking a few interesting rapid fire questions. Are you okay with that? Yes, please. Shoot. Okay. Here you go. The first one from my side is, what is your favorite failure? Favorite failure. Okay. I would say it's probably a a decade back. uh, There was a big change management transformation program that uh, we were embarking as an organization. And why I sort of chose this one it's given me a lot of learnings, uh, this particular failure, as I, I might call it, because this was a big transformation program where we had everything set right for ourselves, where we knew why this change is required. The why was very clear. We knew exactly what needed to be done. We had all the plans and roadmaps to do how it has to be done. So everything that you would feel that needed to be done, planned for, was there. But that the whole transformation, whole program didn't simply take off at all. And that was a big learning, uh, though it was a failure, but it was a big learning for myself to know what goes in terms of human dynamics, right? So because change often is about technology, change is often about a lot of other processes in the companies and, you know, other factors. But at the end of the day, it's all about human behavior and how humans accept it in life in general, as well as in corporate. Wow. Even though you have all the ticks in the box, sometimes things may not yield into the same result as you anticipate. Amazing. What is the most adventurous thing that you have done so far? Adventurous. All right. That really makes me think, you know, that I need to do some more. I mean, uh, none of them, what I've done qualifies to be a super adventurous activity. So, <laughs> you know, it gives me some something to think about and ponder on. So, Arvind, moving on to my next one. What is one hidden talent that Arvind possesses that no one knows? Maybe through our medium, you can share some secrets out. Well, I won't say anyone, but very few people might know this. Uh, So I'm a avid horse rider. Well, that is cool. So Arvind, from horse riding, let's move on to the next question, which is more about what is one question that has been in your mind for some time, but it never got answered? 
Well, the recent one is uh, all around the COVID menace that we see and um, trying to figure out when is it going to get over. I'm not getting a definitive answer around that. Uh, we all want that to be behind us for behind sure. Us. Right? Yes. I think the entire global population will vote for it and vouch for it. <laughs> yes. The last one from uh, Rapid Fire, Arvind. What is one message that you would give to your younger self? I would say, say more yes than no's. Wow. That was Chris. Thank you. After that amazing Rapid Fire, let me bring you back to the original stream and ask you one final question for this session, Arvind. What is your one piece of advice to those aspiring to make big in their careers just like you? I think what I'll advise is, you know, every individual has something that they bring onto the table. And therefore, my single advice is be original in that aspect. While you can get inspired, while by no means, like I said, uh, in the beginning, stay where you are. So constantly learn, but be original is my single advice. And you know, at the core of it, you'll, you'll find that you'll get success. Thank you. Be original. Your uniqueness is what actually will give you the best in this world. Amazing. Arvind, thank you so much for joining us today. It was indeed our privilege and great opportunity to talk to you about overall life, professional journey and organizational debt in particular. Thank you so much for taking time. We really appreciate you spending this time with us. I'm sure our listeners are going to be extremely happy and learn a lot through this conversation. Thank you so much, Sudhakar and Naveen, for having me. And I wish you and all your listeners the best. And I wish your podcast an absolute success. Thank you very much. Thank you. All right. So it brings us to the trivia segment of today's episode. And folks, today's trivia is about Google. And here comes my question. Who was the first person to invest in Google? I know you may be thinking about Larry Page and Sergey Brin. But in addition to there is there is one more guy. He is... Andy Bechtolsheims, who has cut a check of $100,000 to both the founders, Larry Page and Sergey Brin. Interesting, isn't it? Thank you for listening. There's more in store, folks. Stay tuned. Take care. Be safe. Until next time. Bye-bye. And we are signing off for today. See you all in the next episode with another wonderful guest.